that country ham industry is its own worst enemy many times and understanding what it needs to do to make itself look on par with Italian cured hams. Yeah. You tell my wife it's charcuterie. She's like, oh yeah. He says country hams. like, oh no, no no way. (laughs) It's like (laughs) the same thing. Welcome to episode 251 of Bourbon Pursuit. I hope you all are hanging in there with your quarantine hair. Because I know right now mine's looking pretty shaggy. I'm due for a haircut. But before I get to the news, I want to tell you once again about Whiskey From Home. With the help of some of the best names in bourbon, we are doing a five and a half hour live stream of whiskey-soaked entertainment on May 2nd, starting at 12 p.m. Eastern. So right now, go to whiskeyfromhome.com and get your free ticket. There's sessions on bourbon history, the best bourbons on the shelf right now, blind flights, how to hunt for great bourbon, a virtual food pairing with Peggy No Stevens, and a virtual bourbon tasting with our good friend, Fred Minnick. The shopping list for everything that you need to follow along is at whiskeyfromhome.com. So go there, check it out. It's a free event. So come and spend your Saturday afternoon with us. Now, bourbon in a decanter, does it go bad? This is a question that was asked and answered with extensive research from advancedmixology.com. After you buy a bottle of bourbon, how should it be stored? Does it stay preserved for years or even decades if left unopened? What about the canting of bourbon? Can it go bad then? Well, it all comes down to aeration, and without giving too much of it away, you can read all the answers to these questions to the link from advancedmixology.com in our show notes. For today's podcast, we talk about bourbon and ham. Is that a pairing that you would expect? Well, to be honest, neither did I. I'm a sucker for killing a whole plate of prosciutto at a dinner party. But thanks to our guest, Steve Coombs, I found a new love for country ham. When done right, the saltiness of the ham, it just hits all the right spots. And we sit down with Steve as he talks about his past life as a pizza judge. Yeah, you heard that, right? A pizza judge. I mean, talk about a dream job. But then we get into hams, the diet of the pigs, curing processes, and even his professional opinion of those ham legs that you see hanging inside of Rick houses. I think that's going to surprise you. Of course, it wouldn't be complete if we didn't do a bourbon and ham pairing. So try not to salivate too much. All right, now here we go with the show. Here's Fred Minnick with Above the Char. I'm Fred Minnick, and this is Above the Char. I'm a little sad right now. I'm actually really, really sad. We've had to uh, cancel bourbon and beyond. I think many of you all know that, but that's the festival that... I co-created with uh, Danny Wimmer Presents, and COVID is uh, forcing a lot of cancellations, especially in the music world. What's going to happen to the Kentucky Derby? No one really knows. But this Saturday would have been my 13th Kentucky Derby in a row to attend. And I'm just sad because that piece of, that, that moment is gone. It's gone, that piece of culture, that piece of celebration. And it's not necessarily about the horses. It's about the gathering of the people, the smoking of cigars, the sipping of bourbon, seeing my wife go through, you know, 15,000 different hats before she chooses one. So many great moments I've had over the years. I want to share one with you. Now, if you followed me, you know that I've I was a guest of the governor last year, and I've been in Millionaire's Row, and I've been around the celebrities and all that. And a lot of people will be like, that would be 
that would be the one. That would be like the one memory that you would want to take away when you think about your experiences as the uh, from the Derby. I've also been a photographer on the Derby. I was on the finishing line in 2008 and got some really beautiful photos of A. Bells before she passed away. And yet, that's not it either. Nope. My favorite Derby of all time was when I was in Peggy No Stevens' box with, uh, with my wife. We were just pregnant. We were just getting out of that first trimester where we could start telling people. You know how it is if, if you've been pregnant. Well, I've never been pregnant. My wife's been pregnant, but I say we as in like, you know, family. And you get out of that first trimester and you're so excited to tell people. And we're Catholic, so that first step is always like, all right, who are going to be the godparents? So it was on Derby Day, like two, three years ago, that we were in Peggy's box and we asked Peggy if she would be the godmother to our son, Julian. And she cried, said yes, of course. And it was just a magical moment. It was a wonderful celebration. And then I think I lost a a couple hundred bucks on the race. (laughs) But there's no replace in the Derby. We can't replace that. That's just a magical, magical moment. If you've ever been, you know what I'm talking about. But we're doing something that is as good as we possibly can present right now. And that's Whiskey From Home. It is an amazing lineup of bourbon personalities. And I hope you will join us all day Saturday as we drink bourbon, as we talk bourbon. We're going to be streaming across the interwebs unlike any time before. This is the first. This is the first, to my knowledge, that we've ever seen something like this, a virtual conference in the bourbon world. And my hat's off to Kenny Coleman. He's just done such a good job, you know, stepping up and getting this thing going. On the back end, I'm trying to get all the streaming stuff set up. And uh, Ryan's going to be making cocktails. And you know what? I'm going to try and make them alongside him. So I cannot wait to see how this goes for everybody. And I hope you will join us. It's this Saturday. I'm sure Kenny's already talked about it. And you're going to hear more about it later on. But it's going to be a great time. Is it going to replace the Derby? Nothing can replace that in our hearts. But what it can do is it can help us get us through the fact that we are missing the greatest two minutes in sports. So that's this week's Above the Char. This one came from the heart. If you have a heartfelt story about the Kentucky Derby, hit me up on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, or go to my website, fredminnick.com, and send me an email. I like reading those kinds of stories. Until next week, cheers! Ed Bly and Rising Tide Spirits are back again with a new release of Old Stubborn Bourbon. And this release of Old Stubborn is a premium hand marriage of 10, 11, and 12-year cask drink, barely filtered pot still bourbon. It comes in at a staggering 123.8 proof. And the flavoring grain for this one, which the last one was weeded, but this time it's now rye. Rich, sweet, and bold with a long finish that's sure to be another eye-opener. You can order online at Sealbox or TheBourbonConcierge.com And you can even purchase in person at Revival Vintage Spirits and even now with very few select stores in Kentucky. You can get it now while you can, but be sure to do it because it's not going to last long. Do you ever pour yourself a bourbon, swirl it around, and then start struggling to come up with tasting notes? And perhaps you're also looking for a good Father's Day gift idea. Well, you can now solve both with a kit from Nose Your Bourbon. And unlike other nosing kits on the market, 
Nose Your Bourbon kits feature real ingredients for the most authentic aromas. You can smell real Tahitian vanilla bean instead of some synthetic aroma that's just made from chemicals. So head on over to noseyourbourbon.com and enter code BP10 for 10% off your order. From their bar to yours, Chad and Sarah of the popular YouTube channel It's Bourbon Night bring you their favorite at-home old-fashioned mix with the new Elemental Elixir's Golden Hour Syrup. It's a custom-made syrup with notes of bold black tea, warm spices, and orange zest. All you need is your favorite whiskey and ice. No bitters needed. One bottle makes 16 drinks, so that's only $1 cocktail before you add your own whiskey. They can also be enjoyed in other cocktails or spirits, mocktails, coffee, tea, and anything you can think of. It's crafted locally in Lexington, Kentucky, and you can get your bottle now at whiskeyambitions.com. And they're off for another Give 270 2020 Unicorn Raffle. Your $20 ticket gives you not one, but two chances to win from our lineup of 20 Woodford Reserve treasures, including the grand prize, the rarest unicorn yet, the Woodford Reserve Kentucky Derby 150 Baccarat Edition. Only 150 bottles were made and is just like the one the Derby winning owner receives. Quit horsing around and get your $20 tickets now at Give270.org. Charitable Gaming License ORG 0002703. Welcome back to another episode of Bourbon Pursuit, the official podcast of bourbon. The whole team here today, uh, we've got bourbon and we've got ham. We're going to be talking pigs and bourbon today. So this is uh, this is something that I know Ryan and myself, we're big barbecue guys. We've got our green eggs. You've got your drum. You've got all kinds of things. It's a barrel. But yes. It's a barrel. I know what you mean. Yeah. And, you know, for me, I, I love I love charcuterie boards when I go out to restaurants too. Can't get enough of ham. And, I mean, you, uh, you I remember we were talking about going to uh, North Carolina. You're talking about the, the Jamon ham. Is that what it is? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. The Serrano hams. The J- oh, the Hamon. 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 Yeah. See, I say. Or, that's, that's or Jamon or Jamon. Yeah. Okay. Jam. Michael Jackson working there. <laughs> yeah. It's the yeah. Jamon. The Jamon and ham uh cured meats are like you're talking about love language you know and i used to raise uh, pigs i used to raise pigs so like this is like uh ham to me is like it's what i grew up with we used to raise uh durocks and uh berkshires and everything so no had, kidding nice. yeah i had my Good own hogs uh, I, I knew you were in the hog business did you ever, know head, did you ever bathe the pig in the mud did you ever what you know, bathe the pig you know in the mud yeah we bathed them yeah we literally like i'd had to clean them all the time because they would get It'd get really bad. And we had some, um, we did have some, some Hampshires, uh, as well. I had like, um, I had like one of these really nice prized Hampshires and the damn thing died, uh, when it touched concrete, like it, it was, it, it was a carrier of what they called a stress gene. And one of my big, uh, contributions to the hog community is that I donated him to science instead of eating him after, <laughs> after he died. Do you get a tax write-off for that or something? Um, I don't, you know what? I think we did, but if they actually, they've cured, they've bred most of that out there. Yeah. You can't eat them unless you cause its death, right? If it, if it does that on its own, you got to I don't off, think right? there's any rules on the, if, whether you <laughs> eat a hog. I have to show up live to the butcher. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. It sounds delicious. So If it's yeah. hit by a car, I think that's the only well, rule. Well, we don't want to know how the sausage made, you know, no pun intended. But. <laughs> Who knows? We might get it back into that action today and kind of talking about cured meats as well as we go through here. But you've already heard our guest today. So today as our guest. We've got Steve Coombs. Uh, Steve is all over the place. He knows about pigs. He knows about bourbon. He's been a writer for Bourbon Plus. He's also an author. Uh, he's been a, a contributing writer for Bourbon and Banter. So Steve, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. 
Glad to be here. Yeah. So, I mean, I kind of talked to you a little bit there, but let's let's kind of talk about some of your uh, your bourbon cred. You know, how did how did you get into actually start writing and kind of knowing and exploring the spirits world? I, I always call this the confession moment in that I was probably 47, 48 before um, somebody, uh, gosh, she was the tourism director in Bartstown. And I was down there doing a story for Southern Living Magazine. Do y'all remember Dawn Pristel? Oh, yeah. Dawn? yeah, yeah. And Dawn said, we pulled up to Heaven Hill. She said, Steve Coombs, you get out of this car right now, go inside and do that tasting. <laughs> she said, you're not going to do it. Uh, an article on my town without tasting some bourbon. And believe it or not, honest truth, it really clicked that day. But it was funny that 92 proof larceny lit my mouth on fire to the point of numbness. And I mean, and now we're drinking barrel, barrel strength rye. You know, it's no big deal. So mm-hmm. uh, I got hooked on it literally just because of uh, the culture. And of course, watching Fred, Fred and I worked many years ago together and seeing what it did for his career and becoming attracted to the characters in the business, my gosh. I mean, I've written about the culinary business for 30 years and never have I found such a concentration of friendly characters in one single business. Yeah. And, and you especially talking about how rough it was in the wine industry, you know, how yeah. many snobs were in that. And like you didn't want any more involvement with that. The low ego part of this business is just, you know, gold for a writer, don't you think? Yeah, I mean, the the characters are, are amazing. And I remember that time, in your career, you, you you called me up. You're like, "How did you get here? How'd you do that and all that?" And I, and it for me, this has always been easy because of the of the people. And at the time, you were like thinking about you know teetering with tequila a little bit. I remember I that. was, and I still love it. Um, but it's a whole country away. Yeah, <laughs> you know. And here we yep. live in the country, a bourbon country, and it's right here. And you can drive to Bartstown in 50 minutes and mm-hmm. be interviewing the geniuses in the business, or Frankfurt, or you know, uh, Lawrenceburg. One of the great things that you've done is that a lot of people come into into uh, in bourbon and they just they kind of repeat the same stories, um, you know. Not a lot of people, you know, try to go outside of what's already been done. And you've kind of you've done that. And I've been telling you uh, for a long time that people want to be, you know, learn more about ham and the pairings of it. And now you're doing seminars on it and everything. So how did that? How did that start? How did you develop this? whole new platform that really no one's explored really uh, and this ties back to you hopefully you remember the answer to this we gotta uh, stop this kiss fest over here. yeah <laughs> it is a little smoochy isn't it yeah all right later just but turn the lights off. let me let me say this he mentored me uh 15 years ago when we That's wrote what he said he was called... your supervisor he said yeah. you're late just like today no i'm kidding Pretty, well, <laughs> i'm totally kidding i was always on time you were i told <laughs> him that the company didn't really tolerate that crap and, and you still had enough military and you need to show up on time <laughs> yeah that was that was back when i was still following a little bit of my military code. Now I'm 10 minutes late to everything because I just don't care. <laughs> Fred, Fred called me in July of, what was it, 2014. You said that a publisher had called you about doing a book on country ham. That's right. And you said, I don't know anything about the subject, but I have a feeling I know someone who does. And he called me and he said, call the publisher and see if this will work out for you. And I wound up writing. Um, that was my I guess my, it was my first book, Country Ham, A Southern Tradition of Hogs, Salt, and Smoke, which came out the, the year after that. And so by then, I had already begun enjoying bourbon, and I'm tasting it just like we're going to taste today. It was late night. It was, it, believe it or not, it sounds so 
fake, but it's really true. It was midnight. I was editing the book <laughs> and sipping it and tasting it with this and said, oh my gosh, this works really well together. Yeah, it's a match made in heaven. Oh, I- exactly. It, and and that's really where it kind of clicked. But uh, Jay Denham, who is one of the great cures in Kentucky, who's moved back to Cincinnati, had come to me. We were friends. We were talking ham. And he said, you know, we should do a big whiskey and ham pairing sometime. And Somehow or another, it led to the Bourbon Classic, and and we did one with uh, Hev- not Heaven Hill. I'm sorry, Jim Beam, and uh, it was a hit from then. And ever since, I've been doing a lot of these tastings. My gosh, we've got six books already this year through March out of town, and it's a lot of fun to to spread the gospel of both. I mean, pork gets a bad name in the United States, and this is this is really good stuff that we're going to try today. Mm. The other other white meat, right? That's <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. The really really red meat. <laughs> Forgot that tagline. Yeah. So horrible. I, I kind of want to rewind it back to you even a little bit more here. So kind of talk because you were you were a chef previously in your life too, right? Uh-huh. So kind of talk more about your culinary background. So um, I, I my mother was a good Southern cook, but never did I understand restaurant food until I had to start paying my tuition at St. X, and my parents said, you know. Times are a little tight. You boys need to get some better jobs if you're going to keep going to St. X and pay for it. So I started working in fine dining. And it was the restaurant that really gave Louisville its own restaurant boom. It was called Casa Grazani. It's long since gone. But that was the first place that I tasted really, really good fresh fish, real asparagus, hollandaise, all these kinds of things. And I realized I was wired for the culinary industry. I didn't know what I wanted to do when I graduated college and was stuck watching the chefs and thought, that looks interesting. I'll try that. I wanted to be a writer. I've always wanted to be a writer, but uh, I was an absolute terrible manual typewriter typist. Mine was the last class at St. X in 1982 that used true manual typewriters, and the best I ever did was 32 words a minute. And that wasn't going to fly at a newspaper. <laughs> and about five or so years later, I got a laptop. It was an, it was, uh, an NEC multi-sync, if anybody remembers it. You guys are toddlers. Yeah, I was about to say. Uh, yeah, it, like it weighed, it weighed 11 and a half pounds. When it, had, when it had like a, a real floppy, like the five and a half two, inch floppies? Two, no, not that one. Two, three and a half. No go. hard drive. And that was the first time that I ever discovered that word processing allows you to correct your mistakes. I'm like, well, maybe I can do this thing after all. And, and so I started writing about the restaurant industry. Um, that was 1991. I still do it, not nearly as much because of, you know, publications like yours. And and I'm I'm really digging the spirit scene, but to be in it this long and have gotten to travel to really neat places in the world, just writing about food has been a treat. And I'm, I'm in a food town. So it's been a good career. I, let me, let me add something to this. Uh, he was the editor, um, in chief of, uh, pizza today. And then he later was the editor, editor of a, a website called pizza marketplace. And Steve was a God in pizza around the world. And if if you think about pizza, it's like uh, it, it's its own. It sounds delicious. Anyway, you put it, 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 right? Steve, look, <laughs> Steve looks too skinny to be like yeah. doing, doing all this food critique. <laughs> but he would he would write about these like pizza dough throwing contests, and uh, it'd be like Italy versus United States or, or Canada. Man, that was going on when you were there, man. And it's just it was just it was fun uh, for me from a career perspective. That was the first time I had ever seen anyone uh, cover a beat very uniquely. And um, that, I've never told you this, but the way that you owned pizza gave me a lot of like motivation, you know, to, you know, to discover, you know, in that, or in the early times of my career to find what I could like 
your niche. You know, find my niche like you did. And like uh, he was a god in pizza. And, and if you Google Steve Coombs, you know, we, we put the quotation marks around it and then pizza, you'll find a lot of his old stuff. And it's beautiful. I kind of want to talk it's about like pizza for a minute. I know. I kind of want to talk about pizza just for a second. So kind of talk about like, how do you judge a pizza? Like in, in your mind, when, yeah, you're, what, when you were going in to judge a pizza, like what, how does that, how does that work? There, it, it's, it's uh, the, the last contest that I did for a long time was in Columbus. That client I was telling you about that I had in, uh, up there, it was the North, gosh, was a Mid-American pizza contest. I can't recall, but we judged it on crust quality, Christmas. Um, you would look at uh, what, you know, the rim of the crust, which the Italians call the cornicione or the cornice, and you'd look for uh, the texture of the dough. Um, you judge it on the, the flavor of the sauce, how it presents itself well with cheese. You don't want it to slide off. That's a problem. You look at the ratio of toppings with sauce and crust. And what you look at the marketability of it, is this thing really something that would sell in a in a pizza restaurant or did the guy just make it up on his way in? And then do you do thumbs up, sideways thumbs, thumbs down? No, to th- rate it? Th- th- there was there was there were thirty-eight judges in this contest to manage you know the volume of pizzas that were coming through. So you really did have to have a rigorous scoring. You do pizza quickies now. Pizza yeah. quickies, yeah, yeah, we could do that. Yeah, yeah. So it was it was pretty rigorous judging. And I'd seen a similar system in, in Italian uh, I'm sorry, in Italy, but uh uh, it's basically based on what you know, making the Italians win. <laughs> what, what's their system? What uh, style do you prefer? Like uh, the Neapolitan or the style. okay Neapolitan? Yeah, I really do. Yeah, me ne- too. Neapolitan New York go neck and neck. Yeah, and uh, I like that, to fold that, mine like a pe- not a pizza, but fold- a taco, foldable <laughs> floppy. Yep. Yeah. There seems yeah. to be a trend right now of people bashing Chicago style pizza, saying it's not really pizza. It's just like a. It's like a lasagna or something. Yeah. Uh, it's, Are it's you in that? Are you in that? No, world? not at all. Uh, that that's it's a derivative of an Italian version of pizza called torta pasqualina, which means Easter tart or tort. And it was basically, you know, the deep dish, and they would put another layer of crust over the top. And it was big, it was like kind of like we will roll out a big lasagna for a celebratory event. Mm. And and that and that's the way it was treated. It wasn't you know, the Italians don't see pizza as a slice after slice thing like we eat it here. I mean, we're committed. These dudes have had an appetizer, some wine, the little bit of pizza, then you know something afterward. Uh, we look at pizza as a whole meal, sometimes our meal. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> yeah. you know, so uh, um, kind of goes back to that old saying: like any pizza can be a personal pain if you want to try hard enough. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. Um, that they would look at that at a pizza that size and say, "Man, that's for ten people, twelve people," you know. And and we look at it sometimes, and say, well, "Well, you got two I friends, we'll split it." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. All right, pizza pursuit coming to you in twenty twenty one. Yep. <laughs> All right, so let's let's kind of head and kind of dive in here with with what we have in front of us. So, kind of tell me uh, and tell us a little bit about like what you brought today and variations and, and why you chose this. So we have a couple of hams before us today, and I like to focus on people who use uh, the, the very breeds that Fred was talking about having raised years ago, heritage breed hogs, because the, the quality of the meat is higher. The fat is much more present. It's better marbled. There's a better cap, like this area here is called, and you get a much better balance of flavor and texture and coating. A lot of the things that we talk about with bourbon but only presented in a solid form um i also when i did the book several years ago i i, I really got to to taste a lot of country ham and, and these specific cures are the one that i ones that i really like to use in presentations i have found that their meat tastes best with whiskey out of you know many others 
partly because of the fat, partly because of the complexity that's gained in aging, just like bourbon. Yeah, I was, about to, I was about to ask like how what what the rigorous process of testing all that was like to be able to figure out exactly what would pair well and what. No wouldn't. more rigorous than you guys sitting at the bar just tasting lots of different things and logging it somewhere in your memory or a notepad. It's just tasting and tasting and tasting and tasting and and thinking it through. Um, it takes it's again like bourbon. A little goes a long way. You don't need a ton of country ham. Three ounces of country ham would give you your full RDA dose of salt. Mm-hmm. So you don't need much of it. Um, but, but I've really gotten to where I'm very fond of th- this first ham t- nearest us is from the Hammery in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. This is a guy who, uh, his name is Bob Woods and he's the one that coined my favorite phrase that I use in presentations. And he said, Steve, country ham ain't nothing but hillbilly prosciutto. <laughs> and that's what it is. <laughs> uh, a traditional ham is cured with salt only. A country ham is cured with salt and sugar and various other peppers if you like. But that's basically the difference. Now, okay. these so, particular uh, pigs you talked about that are, are they fed a specific diet or are they just, like, I've, I've you know, in Italy I've seen, you know, the swine are fed like acorns only and like massaged, you know. True, like that's that. for the prosciutto de parma hogs. Um, but they do like to let them get out in free range. And did you guys or did you have to keep them in pens or? Uh, it, it, it varied. Um you know, there were some uh, breeds that we would let kind of roam. Chester hogs were ones that we would let roam around. You could kind of trust them, and they were diggers. They root the hell out of they, the yeah, property. Yeah, they, they were real yeah. rooters. Um, uh, okay, bur- what, what's a rooter mean? Guys, you got to understand. They, like, they, I'm they a, dig with their nose. I'm a city slicker, <laughs> They okay? dig with yeah. their noses into the ground to get at grubs and such, right? Right, yeah. So they And they also like to get a nice, cool spot to get underneath there. The Berkshires were runners, and so, like, if you let them out, there's a pretty good chance a coyote would get it, you know, because it would go out in the woods or something. Uh, and, and the Durocs were really, they were just kind of lazy. They didn't really want to do anything. So even if you open the pin up, they'd be like, yeah, there's a lot out there. And I got this water bucket here. <laughs> we're good. <laughs> I, l- I love the accent, Durocs, because here in, in Kentucky, it'd be Durock. No, oh, yeah, that's yeah, same spelling. Yeah. It's just like Hamon and Jamon. Well, <laughs> what's fascinating about that is that we would buy hogs from all over the um, all over the country, you know, because we were competitive. Uh, we were showmen. We were competitive, you know, trying to win jackpot hog shows and stuff. And you'd go to you, we'd go to Illinois, which Illinois had like uh, for a long time they had like the best genetics for Hampshires, and everybody was trying to get a little bit of Hampshire in their in their breeding processes, and. Um, they would, you would go there. You couldn't even understand them. They'd say hag, you know, <laughs> the different uh, enunciations of the breeds. It's fascinating. You can, it, it's one of the few kind of like words where you can tell where someone's from based on how they pronounce breeds. Yeah. And if you look at all of them, they're all, most of the, uh, the breeds come from like some kind of a European, you know. Descent. When, Descent, when you said really. free range, so like. I'm trying to think like a, you know, a cow, like if you have grass fed beef or versus like corn fed, corn fed's like much more fatter, like more flavorful for me anyways, whereas you get grass fed, it's kind of more grainy, kind of earthy kind of flavors. Is that, do they do the similar things with pigs or? Absolutely. I mean, you can, you can tell the difference. I mean, it just tastes this against some neutral pork sometime that if you cured it and, and you just, if, if it didn't have that diet to begin with, it, it's not going to influence the meat. And a thing too that they do uh, with with all animals, and it's very prevalent amongst uh, uh, swine, is that they actively add antibiotics. 
because these things are always getting sick. Uh, you know, if one of them gets, uh, you know, some kind of flu or some kind of cold, it could wipe out an entire herd or, or a farrowing house, which has all the piglets in it, and you, you, you lose your entire investment. So the, a lot of these farmers will actively add um, antibiotics into the feed. And so like when, when you hear someone talking about free, free range or, or, or natural, or a lot of that means is that they're getting a, a feed that is not as, you know, doped up, if you will. And also yeah. like they're able Fortified. to. Fortified. So yeah, like the for- GMO corn thing for, you know, while yeah. turkey hangs their, their head on that, you know. But does it make a difference in the, you know, antibiotics versus non-antibiotics with the meat flavor? I've never heard anybody yeah. say whether. It just always, uh, I think it's you a, would know better than I, sure. I think a lot of, also too, when you look at this, a, a lot of like ham and sausages is about the processing. Uh, so very few people are, are actually just getting the, you know, getting the, getting the meat from a hog, you know, slicing it and cooking two of them, you know, the same way. Everyone's doing a sauce or they're doing a special cure. Um, I think it's very, it's not like beef where you can cut, you get two steaks, slap it on there, cook it up and you can tell, mm-hmm. you know, it's very, it's very different with this because much of the art is in the curing. And I, I'm fascinated to me, I'm very fascinated with the art of curing because we go into warehouses in Kentucky, you know, bourbon warehouses like Willet, and you can see these little, uh, you know, hams just kind of in the rafters. We won't talk about that. Oh. <laughs> All right. We'll save that for a later Ooh, subject. Now then. I want to talk about it. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I have my opinion on that. Well, let's go ahead. We'll, we'll come back to let's it. Let's taste. I yeah, talk, let's, talk. let's definitely taste. I kind of want you to kind of talk us through, uh, you know, what what we have and like what we're pairing it with. You already talked about what we what we have and then we went on All huge right, tangent. Despite what your mother's told you. So play, what do we have right and left? Or? So let's go with the front one, the one closest to you. This is from the Hammery. This is an 18 to 20 month old ham that's called a Tenshudo. So I, I'm like Fred. I like to hold it up. I like to see the the marbling in it. Oh wow! I've never done a, an official yeah, meat. Yeah. Oh wow! Well, I could, can you imagine being? A, do you, I mean I don't know if I've ever gone to a restaurant and been like I know seen anyone. Can you, do this. Can you bring? A, I don't do that in a restaurant. Can you bring a light or, to this? Can and you make bring sure. me a flashlight? Let's <laughs> <laughs> smell it. I mean, or I guess like I'm using my phone. Th- 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 this particular ham has huge Parmesan cheese note to me, but it also has that very porky note, that barnyard note that I love. Parmesan cheese is it, definitely there on it. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. And I just like to lay it right on my tongue. I've also, I don't think I've ever uh, gone through and like tried to, I mean, do you, I'm assuming you, since you do this and you judge uh, and you try to do the palate tasting and trainings, like it's the same way you do with a bourbon. You're, you're sitting there, you're looking at the color, you're looking and you're, you're actually smelling it and you're nosing it the same way you would do with a whiskey or something like that. Believe it or not, the way they judge ham contests, you, you don't see the internal part of the ham. It's never cut to look at. It is, um, in Italy, they typically use the horse's cannon bone and they kind of sharpen it down to a point it's a, it, it, and they stick it into the near the H bone of the ham to see if the thing is properly cured. Cause you know, instantly by that aroma that comes out, they'll stick it in, they'll stick it to their nose and say, yeah or nay. And that's one of the criteria for judging here in Kentucky is, is that thing properly cured? And so you put it in a couple of parts of get the beavis and butthead <laughs> joke in the butt face of the ham. And so they're checking on aroma, they're checking on appearance, how it's trimmed. Typically a country ham is smoked, so that the way that is colored is important. They don't want they don't want it just super mahogany. Like Western Kentucky cures will do that sometimes. It's it's not a favorable 
Is it typical thing. to use mahogany wood for, for no, smoking, oak, or they use all oak. different oak? Okay, oak is really common. Or I'm I'm sorry, hickory, hickory, hickory. Okay. Um. So yeah, the, it, it's it's much more superficial than you would think. They'll probably palpate it, you know, uh, smash it around some, but that it's not nearly as intense as you might think. But taste that with the toasted, which is on the left. You know, who's gonna love this is Lauren when she edits this. Us oh, like smacking our lips. We're in the She's always. I, like, I oh, never do that. Well, it, nice sound effects. Yeah. It, as if this didn't have enough brown sugar on its own. Mm. This really bumps it up. Um, Andrea uh, Wilson at Michter's and I talk about when we do these pairings, we want to compliment, contrast, or elevate when we make a pairing. Compliment means they go well together. Contrast means they make each other interesting. Elevate means each makes the other better. And I think this is a pairing, oh, yeah. that, a pairing that elevates. So why go with the uh, the toasted on this one? What was the um, what was the significance behind that one? Just it, it's it's a simple, approachable whiskey. I mean, it's it. Who who doesn't like toasted? I, it's not my favorite of the Michter's line, but I really really like it, and it just pairs well with food. Uh, I've paired with a lot of foods, and you, I think you guys can jump in on this with me. But for some reason, their line, the Mictors line, pairs better than any. And I'm thinking that there are two things that are noticeably different from everything else we've done. And that's low barrel entry proof and low proof in the bottle. And for some reason, that seems to result in a really good pairing with food. I don't know if you've ever thought that through, but. No, I mean, I, I guess say- with the alcohol overpower. the Yeah. I would say that's probably, but I think everyone's different too. You know, some people have, you know, burned their palates out. They need that barrel proof all the time. I, I wanted to ask you a question about, about like the, 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 the sliced uh, country ham always feels thicker to me than uh prosciutto. And I, when I was in, I was in Italy and I was at a prosciutto place and they had me go up, go behind it and cut. They, they let me cut and I used, mm-hmm. actually did the bone. And when I cut, they were like, you're too thick. Get out of here. <laughs> so, uh, and, I, and it wasn't that thick. It was like this. But so why, why, what's the difference between like, you know, the standards of um, the thickness? Shopify's already taken the cash register online, helping millions sell billions around the world. But did you know that Shopify can do the same thing at your retail store? Give your point-of-sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify's point-of-sale is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. And with Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in-line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. And get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's point-of-sale Go Mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash bourbon, all lowercase, and go to shopify.com slash bourbon to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash bourbon. What's the difference between like, you know, the standards of uh, the thickness in, um, 
American country? I, I think it's a great question. In, in the United States, certainly in the southern United States, where country ham is most prevalent, people don't eat it. People I say eat it raw. No, not eating it raw. It's cured. It is chemically and physically transformed into a shelf-stable product. So it's cured. It's not raw. Um, my mother was one of many who just abused ham, country ham, and would cook it to a, you probably had it, Ryan, oh, yeah. in, in Barstown, a baseball leather consistency. And it intensified the salt. It was just overwhelming and absolutely no fun. But when I did this book, I can't tell you how many people, how many cures did not like it like this. They they thought that this is, you know, I kind of like it with a little red-eyed gravy or whatever. I'm like, this is the best expression. Yeah. This is the barrel proof, barrel strength expression of their product. Wow. Or, essentially. or throw it in a sandwich with tomato and, you know, lettuce and pickles. Well, done like, <laughs> well, yeah, done like that. I've, I've enjoyed it too at Nancy Newsom's place. I think I posted a photo a couple of days ago of it. But yeah, Fred, this is the charcuterie cut that mm-hmm. really show to me, respects the the product and its natural best. And did you cut it? Uh, with I, I, not like you're talking about, like off the, the ham yeah. itself, I, I'd still be doing it to try to get these things done. You got to be an expert to, or an expert to do that. I can do it, but I'm slow. I have a, I have a commercial slicer in my house. Oh, okay. Nice. Yeah. I, know, I know what I'm getting at Costco next. <laughs> <laughs> Commercials. <laughs> I'll, I'll help you find one on the, on the used market. It'll be a lot better. Okay, you'll, cool. you'll wear one out with a ham. I got a question. Time. After you cut, yes, sir. you know, because it's cured, do you have to do anything to like seal it to preserve it? Or how do you preserve it after you've already cut into it? Well, uh, before we started, you probably saw me taking it out of those vacuum packages. Mm-hmm. I'd just do that. Put it oh, between you, you already go in. Well, I'm talking about the actual whole ham. What do you do with that after? I, I like to break it down into as large uh, sections of muscle as I can, both to make it easier to slice, and, but to do, as you say, get it into a vacuum package and, and seal it that okay. way. So the, the more muscle integrity you have, the better it's going to be preserved. I can keep them in a refrigerator or a, a freezer for a long, long period of time, and they're fine. What size do these typically come in when, say, you want to go buy a leg of ham? Or, so know? a country ham, depending on the maker or the curer, I should say, starts out at about 22, 23 pounds green weight. Is, is it, do you ever call it that, too? Green? That seems to be a industry, an industry time. And um, what's, that, what's that mean, though? It means... Uh, Fresh? Yeah, fresh, jiggling, wiggling. So it's basically like trying to buy like an eight ounce filet or an eight ounce steak, and then well, you cook it, and then. It'd... But that's been that's probably been dry aged for a little while. Maybe, so th- yeah. this this thing was oinking, you know, <laughs> forty eight hours ago. All right then. So Re- remember should, my role in straight from in, butcher in town. hogs. It was just it was raising them, put them on a truck, and say goodbye. <laughs> Give you me know, the check. When, yeah, once they were, don't that, name, that was it. Don't name them. I did name a couple of them. <laughs> I don't know. I did, yeah. But but it, yeah, they'll they'll shrink to about if they start out at twenty two, they'll be ready. At, you know, at about a year at seventeen pounds, so they lose a. That's their angel share. You know, mm-hmm. them losing that moisture to intensify the flavors that are are inside the ham and to trigger. I'm trying to think of the. Gosh, and it's a, it's an enzymatic reaction that that really makes the meat shelf stable. All, all that works together, and it works together because the place we live just like bourbon is so good here because of our climate the same thing happens to hams that you know that once you hang them outside and let them be subject to the weather it's amazing you know there's not that many places in the world that you can do this well i've never i've always wanted to 
get into like curing my own ham or something like that. Uh, Cause I know a few people in a few different bourbon groups and that's like one of their kind of like side projects or side hobbies is the 1789 guy. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. 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 They've got some good ones going. Yeah. So I'll I, do it with you. One of theirs is in my refrigerator at home. Well, right perfect. Now. Perfect. <laughs> so, I mean, so talk, I mean, cause I don't even know like even the process of how you would even start doing that. A, you'd have to acquire the leg, but B like, what was the, what's the next step in that process? It's it's pretty crude, frankly. It's uh, you trim you trim away certain parts of the ham to make it look good, and you rub the hell out of it with curing salt. You know, I mean, you're sticking in every little nook and cranny because you want to get that salt in there to penetrate to the bone and push the way and push the water out. Essentially, um, as curers would say, it's a race to the bone. If if uh, if bacteria gets to the bone of the ham first. You've lost your ham. If if uh, salt gets there first, you've got a cured ham. And what it does it basically is create a, um, by getting the water out, it starves the bacteria. That's what they need to thrive. And that that's all the salt does is pushes it out. And, and of course, flavors it a great deal too. I just did the second pairing. I'm sorry. I jumped ahead. I, I couldn't I did, wait. I did it too. Oh what? my God. It's perfect. It's oh perfect. my God. I mean, it, it was it was funny, like going into this, you know, I, I have a I have a little bit of I want to say a criticism, but I have a little bit of that uh, that kind of I, I hold back a little bit, be like, oh, can you really pair like ham and bourbon together? Holy shit. Yeah, you can. Right. Um, <laughs> see, that's, and that's what's so fun about this is to see that happen and people's, you know, the scales fall from their eyes. They go, really? You can do this? Well, I mean, it's and, and I think mm. it, it, it kind of just gives you a little bit more, um, you know, a, a benefit to hear to say like, OK, you were able to show me like for me to sit there and say, like, I don't even know where I would go and find eight different kinds of ham to even start experimenting with around here. But if I did and I came down here to my basement and I started pulling you know, a Jefferson Reserve, I started pulling uh, bookers, I pulled, you know, whatever, you, you name it across the line and tried to figure out like, how did these pair? I don't really know if I'd be able to do that. So I guess when you're doing this, what are some of those nuances or flavors in a ham or at a bourbon that you're trying to pair with a particular one? And Kenny, I, I wish I could French it up and give you some fascinating answer, <laughs> uh, but it is mostly trial and error. Um, but, but the key attribute that i want from the ham too actually from a country ham is fat content to coat the palate and um smoke a little bit of smoke in there salt is everywhere it doesn't matter uh the chew i know how to cut the the ham correctly so it chews correctly so really it's it's fat um and one of the virtues of a whiskey that pairs well is that it cleanses the palate yeah. And and this this so what we tasted here just a second ago that Fred and Kenny cheated on wisely um was a 24 month old Broadbent's country ham. Yeah, Broadbent's. Done from a, a Berkshire a hog. Yeah. Yeah, Berkshire. Breed, yeah. And um it's just as there's no accident that this is one the the um the company's won the Kentucky State Fair country ham championship 18 times out of 53 or so. Now, what would this ham cost? This ham would cost $199, which is an absolute bargain, but That's is an bad. absolute huge piece of meat. You 17 pounds of ham minus You bone. want to split one, Kenny? I'm in. <laughs> I'm all in. I'm in. See? Yeah. This one smells, or I haven't tasted it yet. Does it smell smokier or is it A little smokier? bit. A little bit. Um, because remember, the, the only part that gets the smoke essentially is the skin and the butt face again the the butt face to do a little illustration would be this area that is cut away from the torso of the hog that's the exposed hip so um but smoke does walk its way in and permeate 
Mm. You know, I, I don't know how long they smoke their hams, probably three days, you know, at, at low temp. Um, but this, this is the Michter's 10 year rye absolutely elevates that to, I mean, it's, it's amazing. Yeah. Because, because the, the Michter's rye and the, the toasted sour mash are completely different taste profiles, right? Um, yeah. I mean, the, mm-hmm. the rye isn't, it's not overly rye, but it's definitely has a 10 year character to it where it's a little bit more oaky, a little bit more darker influence. Um, whereas the, the toasted sour mash, and I, I always get this with any of the Michter's toasted products, um, tastes overly sweet or it tastes just really super sweet because they do that toasting process to the, the secondary barrel finish. Um, so that's, that's kind of the way that, that I'm seeing it. And the kind of way that I'm pairing these different kind of hams as well is that the second one we tried had a little bit more of that, um, almost, I don't want to say like oak age or character to it, but it definitely had some more of that, uh, richness, if you will right yeah it's creamy like buttery creamy exactly i mean you don't even have to chew it like the first one you gotta chew this one you can just let it sit on your tongue and like just disintegrates it's that's <laughs> another reason why it's cut that thin too yeah you want that fat to melt mm-hmm. yeah that's incredible um and the thing about uh this mictors either the straight rye or the tenure in fact the barrel strength does it as well the best pairing that i've ever come up with and totally by accident is this broad bents and mictors rye and I set it at a at a pairing one time. Seen by taste spearmint gum and Heather Green jerks her hand up. Oh, wow. She said, Yes. She said it was so weird I didn't want to say it in public. Heather Green <laughs> of all people. You know, for her to get it, it was exciting. And it does. You guys get that I mean, we all get spearmint from rye, but that's just like spearmint gum, just candy. Maybe it's lending itself to that sweetness that you're talking about in the mixtures. Mm-hmm. Now, is there like a you know, you have country hams that come from, uh, like, I've gone to Garage Bar, and they have um, different country hams uh-huh. from different regions. So, you have mm-hmm. Virginia, Tennessee, Kentucky. Mm-hmm. What do you, I mean, you're probably biased because we live in Kentucky, but wh- what is the best region, or what do you think is the best? I really uh, I really think it's maker by maker. There are some hams in Kentucky that I'm not crazy about, and there are some unbelievable ones coming out of Virginia that I mm-hmm. love, and these typically are century-old companies. So um, I, I love out of Virginia. My favorite is um, uh, the Edwards, the Suriano uh, ham is fantastic. Uh, in Kentucky, we have Newsom, which is brilliant. Uh, oh, gosh. Broadbents we talked about. Uh, Father's is pretty good. Um, I won't mention the ones I don't like. I love in, in Kentucky. I love the, I love the Hamry. I, I'm sorry, Tennessee. And uh, Benton's. Yeah, Ben's. Benton's is a bruiser in a in a pairing because it's so smoky, so yeah. heavily hickory smoked, and it's fun to get. Uh, you know, the whiskey that pairs best with it, the Michter's American. That that ordinary, <laughs> just, what is it, 82 proof? Yeah. And it just, it's perfect. It's a, it's an elevation that you got to experience. Yeah, if you hadn't had Ben's bacon or uh, their country ham, it's, it's life-changing. It's like so, you, think you, you took up good. smoking or something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes. One of, the, one of the challenges that I find um, is the availability and knowing where to, to buy country ham. You walk into Kroger and there'll be like a, an entire like corner aisle space dedicated to country ham. And they, it just they're just kind of thrown in there. And I'm like, you know, for that reason, I can't get my wife to, to eat country ham with me because she's like... No, I, I, I don't want that. Because it's, it's got maybe that it's a little over daunting too, right? You don't want a, a big pile of meat sitting on yeah. a shelf in the store. <laughs> yeah. So where like where fifteen pounds of ham for where the can next people six months? Where can people buy country ham? And is that is that stuff in the middle aisle next to the yogurt any good? 
than Kroger. <laughs> yeah, got to nah. think of the, the national audience. That, that's like, good for making green beans. Yeah, like what would, <laughs> what would be their, the the best like way that they would go about purchasing something like this? That I'm delivering myself from the bliss of that pairing. That is just freaking fantastic. I'm right? in the bliss. I mean, it's, I, I, I can't blame Jacqueline for that's Fred's wife. In case people don't know, I can't blame her for not wanting that because I think the presentation's horrible at the retail level for that. I think the country ham industry is its own worst enemy many times in understanding what it needs to do to make itself look on par with Italian cured hams. Yeah, you For tell instance, my wife it's charcuterie. She's like, oh, yeah. You say it's country hams. She's like, oh, no, no, no way. <laughs> it's like <laughs> it's the same thing. That's exactly right. And it needs to take its place on the stage. Um, to get around to what you're talking about, Fred, the only place in town that, that would cut it, a, a cured ham this way is Red Hog Butcher. Oh, wow. And and it will cost uh, open an, an, an arm and a hog leg yeah. to do it. Um, but it will be extraordinarily good. They're fantastic cures there, but you can call any of these people, um, at you know, directly at the, you know, Benton's or, or the hammer or wherever and ask them to cut that for you and vacuum seal it and send it. The only drawback to that is it, it gets really compressed under the vacuum and it doesn't, it's very difficult to peel off. It's like ham chips. So that's one of the reasons why I got a commercial slicer. Cause I didn't want to. I, I wait as late as I can before a presentation to cut it and bring wow. it out. There's a couple of places in Bardstown you can get a really good. Old Delaney's is one of you ever shop there. No, where's Old that? Old Delaney's. So it's on Bardstown Road right before you get in. It's like right across from Nazareth. Sure, um, closer to Cox Creek. Exactly. Yeah. And then uh, Boone's Butcher Shop, too. They have uh, yes. excellent ham and Keens, too. So there's three places. Uh, what about the place that it sells? You can buy guns and then Keens. That's Keens. That's Keens. It's Kentucky Gun Company now. Yeah. But yes, it's formerly known as Keens. Yeah, but they still do the country. So you can get your gun and your ham right there. I, I went in there and I was like, is that a 50 caliber? And is that like country ham? That's like <laughs> next to the twenty pound leg of ham. Get you a yeah. Glock and a ham hock yeah. at the same place. Yeah. <laughs> you can you can cure with gunpowder, right? Yeah. <laughs> yep. Oh my, add, it, add it to your uh, your bourbon trail trip now. So that's that. That sounds like that might be the best way for someone to get these great country hams. And it needs to, to come change, here. Fred. I mean, you're making an observation that I've complained to the industry about and said you guys have got to understand your position. As charcuterie makers, if you're going to take advantage of what's happening in every single state, you know, those boards coming out on tables, you know, those are those are populated with Spanish and Italian hams. We import four million European hams a year, and yet we only make two and a half million country hams a year and less than personally, I'm thinking less than 200,000 of them are worth eating like this. So 10 percent. The rest are in that pile in the grocery store. Um, so maybe they need to take a book out of bourbons, you know, play out bur- bourbons playbook and like do like, I don't know, not single barrel hand, but like single, you know, like kind of single leg. Yeah, single, single leg, leg, leg or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's, I'm gonna go. You know, I'm gonna put our name in first. We want to do yeah. the first single leg. We're gonna pursuit series uh, <laughs> single leg ham. <laughs> oh my gosh! But, but 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 the interesting thing about these people is is the similarity between them and the distillers in this business is they have no ego. They love their craft. They love the product. But it, it, getting them into the spotlight, uh, like in uh, book promotions and things like that, was was difficult for them. There are very few of them who can really enjoy the attention because how many distillers do we know that say you know i wish i get the hell off the road i just want to make whiskey you know this this it's nice i love people that love you know that love us and i sign their 
you know, bottles or whatnot, but I want to go home and make whiskey. This is kind of the way the country handmakers are. They're not full of themselves. They're wonderful people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So now there's a mission out there. Now there's one thing that I think we want to get to, and I think it uh, it kind of sparked Fred's interest too. So we talked about curing hams in rickhouses. So we kind of we want to get your opinion on it. I'm not doing a mum's the word or a Fifth Amendment. I'm just chewing. <laughs> <laughs> but he is collecting his thoughts. But I mean, there is there is something at least maybe Man. it's uh maybe it's from our, our untrained you know, untrained knowledge of it, you know, like when we go and you walk through a rick house and you see a ham leg and you're like, oh, that's a great idea. And then, you know, they tell you the idea that, oh, the, the angel share goes into the ham leg and then you try it at events and you're like, oh, this is fantastic. And maybe it's, maybe it's just all in your head. It's all placebo. Maybe it is. I, I, before you get into that, I want to say like in like the, in the meat world, when I see those things, all I can think about is like, there's got to be some gnat um, that's drilled its way through there. There's got to be some kind of like bug that might have gotten on it. Who, does that add to the curing, by the way? <laughs> no, it, it detracts from it, and you're correct. Um, the first time I saw those hams hanging at Willet, I was with Drew Colesveen walking through a Rick house, and, and it was June, and there were flies all over one of those hams, and I said, are those yours? And he said, no. I'll, I'll leave out the name of who's, well, what the hell? Sean Brock. Yep. <laughs> they were Sean Brock. Everybody knows. And I said, that's not good to have those flies on there. He's like, what's the problem? I said, well, they lay their eggs. And if they lay their eggs in that meat, they'll become skippers. Or not skippers, but um, yeah, it is skippers. They don't become a full-fledged fly. They bore into the meat and just eat and go like and go. Like maggots go. almost. Yeah. Yeah, but not as handsome. So, uh, uh, a little joke there, fellas. That is a little bug joke. Yeah. <laughs> I they're, get it. I get it now. They're the, just thinking about the secondary value of their will at ham. I've already ate it. I was just saying it. It, it flew over my head. So, <laughs> get it. Oh. so oddly enough, right, you know, I, I knew what happens with those things. And oddly enough, somebody who had no idea of what that conversation, or that it had happened in December of that same year, showed me this picture of those hams. And he said, do you know anything about these? And I looked at him and they had, they, it was Willet, but they had pillowcases over them. That's what I'd said to Drew. I said, you at least got to cover them up with something. And he's like, well, Sean knows what he's doing. I was like, yeah, Sean does know what he's doing um, in a lot of things. But I, I was smart enough to know that that wasn't a good idea. So you've got to keep the insects off um, because it'll make a terrible mess. Um, and, and they're, they're not, you know, we thought one time we, I, I had a batch that that, that happened to, and we were, remember, remember Chef Richard at Audubon Hospital? Oh, yeah, yeah. He and I were doing them. We were using, I mean, pretty sizable bullets on those things. And they're not even fun target practice. They just swallow the whole bullet. It's no fun. So there's nothing fun about skippers. Let's just say that. Mm-hmm. Would they pick up on the on the angel's share? Nobody that I know has ever said that that happens. Yeah, I, I've had I think it's gimmicky, but why not try? Why not try? Um, Chris Chamberlain, do you, you know Chris, right? Yeah, the Nashville writer. Yeah, do you guys know him? I do not. Great no. guy. He he was at the the tasting for that batch of hams, and he said he wouldn't even walk near the table. He didn't <laughs> he didn't know anything about him. I saw pictures in his Nashville scene story, and I said, "Hey, I know where those came from. What were they like?" He said, "I wouldn't get near the table." Oh, we, well, so. I was all over the table that night. <laughs> I was there. Were you there? Oh yeah, we talking about whis- whiskey pig. I, I don't know that that was it. Okay. It might have been uh, an event. Yeah. But, but yeah, I had like probably like nine or 10 helpings. Oh, yeah. But you know, let's be fair. Sean Brock here. Sean Brock's smart. So he probably figured out that you got to cover him up. And then the, it's not that difficult to, to cure ham. Just if the weather cooperates. Mm-hmm. 
Is that really what all it comes down to? It's a lot of it, and it's not cooperating right now. So I've got two hams in my refrigerator, one for a 1789 guy um, that we can't take outside. We're, we're wanting to take him to Booker's, Booker Knows Ham House. I've been to his house, right? And been to the, Have you seen the, the witch-peaked ham house in the back? I had no idea it, Booker it, Know had a ham house. Oh, he, mm-hmm. that was his thing. And you, yeah, could, you, could, you, you could easily put, it, put in 100 hams into that house if you wanted to. Wow. And Fred No said, "There you go, uh, Kenny. Life goals." When, when I was going to put one in a couple of years ago, I said, "Do you mind if I come one, put one in?" He said, "He said you just got to let Sandy know that's his wife." And she said, "He said, as long as you're not taking one out and you're putting one in, it's okay." <laughs> so we're just waiting for the weather to cool down, and hopefully, it's going to happen. By the way, that's a really good Sandy uh, impression. She's awesome. Yeah. Have you ever met Sandy? I Fred No's wife. He, he just sounded just like her. Her act. It was amazing. <laughs> She's a hoot. You, you you can't be a wallflower in that family getting attention. No, they're good people. Yeah. Great people. Yeah. Well, so, Steve, I want to say thank you again for coming on today and kind of like guiding us through here. Um, you know, I think I want to leave one last opportunity for you to kind of like uh, tell people, you know, where they can learn more about you, where they can find your books, where they can book you for ham and bourbon pairing, everything like that. So my uh, website is Steve. Uh, or stevecoombs.com. I was going to email email address. May as well do it. So stevecoombs.com on the web, steve at stevecoombs.com via email. Um, I do ham pairings wherever, uh, food pairings, really. Um, you can also learn a great deal about country hams in the book. Um, what is it? Country ham, a southern tradition of hogs, salt, and smoke. You can find that at amazon.com or stevecoombs.com. I'd prefer you do that because I get a better cut of the game. Um, <laughs> There's the it, author part of you coming out. Yep. And there are a lot of... Uh, Always selling. There, we, I do a lot of stuff around uh, Kentucky. Um, just if you see a big bourbon event, I'm probably going to have a, a pairing there somewhere. Um, but anyway, yeah, call me and email me. We can chat about it. Well, it's fantastic. Fun. And thank you so much for bringing the ham and the bourbon today. Yes, that was my uh, lunch. I'm yeah, there wouldn't be bourbon here. Whiskeys. I, I figured that was a risk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Down to your last 500 bottles just behind it. <laughs> running low, running low. We need need, re, need replenishments here. But no, it, it was a fantastic. Again, thank you for bringing the ham, bringing the whiskey. And and honestly, opening my eyes up as well. Like, I, I want to buy more ham and prosciutto and stuff like that and kind of like figure out how I can do this on my own because... I think uh, I think it's very interesting. You just got to be able to find those right flavors. And I think for a lot of the bourbon people out there, if you go and you you taste bourbon, you know what bourbon tastes like, and then you taste the ham, I think that's probably the better way to go about it instead of tra- tasting the ham first and be like, oh, where'd this kind of fit yeah. in? But if you know your right. bourbon categories and you kind of make those mental notes of certain notes or kind of, like I said, from what I'm finding in a lot of here, it's a lot of that richness, smoky flavors and stuff like that. And you can try to find those pairings. Exactly. It's smoky flavor from the barrel. Pairs, I mean, pairs really well. Elevates, as I like to say. Yeah. Absolutely. Yep. Just don't get the ones at the, at the grocery store that's in the big <laughs> stack. <laughs> Apparently not. <laughs> next, no, not much flavor there. No complexity. Next to the, like, Oscar Mayer wieners and stuff, you know? It's, <laughs> stay Actually, they're always, like, by... Um, like the like the bad cuts of every meat, <laughs> yeah, and, and like macaroni and cheese or, or like something. stew roast and stuff. Yeah, <laughs> Ryan will be back next. Potted meat. 
Yeah. Yep. Ryan will be back next week with hot dog and bourbon pairings. Oh yeah. <laughs> hey, keep it that, real classy. That that, that could be, that could happen. Be the be the peasant that I am. <laughs> Jim Beam white label with everything, folks. <laughs> well, awesome, Steve. Thank you again for for coming on and sharing your story, sharing uh, your your ham and your whiskey with us. We definitely appreciate it. Uh, if you have any opportunity, you like this podcast, make sure you go ahead and rate it. You can go to ratethispodcast.com slash bourbon. You can go ahead and leave a review there. Uh, if you also like to support us even more, we have a Patreon. Go ahead and check it out, patreon.com slash bourbon pursuit. Ryan, Fred, anything to close it up with? No, that was great. Thanks for lunch. Um, I just want to say how proud I am of you. Um, you've had an incredible career and a huge impact on my life. And uh, one of the best pizzas I've ever had in my life was in his home. He's an, am- he's, he's an amazing chef wow. and a great human being. We need to do this next time at your house and have we a dinner party. You're going to haul it all over there. We'll <laughs> yeah. do hey, could we do, could we seriously do pull off a pizza and bourbon pairing? I don't know, man. That's, that's tough that's contrast. A lot of acid <laughs> to work. So that, that, Maybe we break yeah. into cocktails, bring Jackie on the show. And uh, now you're talking. We, we can try all of it. it. That's how I learned that there's no science to this. Just trial and error. Let's do it. All right. I'm all right. In. Well, get on the calendar, Kenny. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Cheers, everybody. We'll see you all next week.